0: chapter 1 of little sister snow this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by claudia Zalto. little sister snow by francis little chapter 1 A quaint old Japanese garden lay smiling under the sunshine of a morning in early spring. The sun, having flooded the outside world with dazzling light, seemed to sink to a tender radiance as it wooed leaf and bud into new life and loveliness. It loosened the tiny rivulet from the icy fingers of winter, And sped it merrily on its way to a miniature lake Where shining goldfish darted here and there In an ecstasy of motion. It stole into the shadows of a great pine tree And touched the white wings of the pigeons As they cooed the song of mating time. It gleamed on the sandy path That led to the old stone lantern, Played into the eyes of Quenon, the goddess of mercy, and finally lost itself in the trees beyond. Under a gnarled plum-tree that for uncounted years had braved the snow and answered joyously the first call of spring, A little maiden stood and held out eager hands to catch the falling blossoms. The flowering time was nearly done, and the child stood watching the petals twirl quickly down, filling the hollows and fashioning curious designs on the mossy grass. The softest of breezes coming across the river, over the thick hedge, saucily blew a stray petal straight into the child's face. To Yuki-chan it was a challenge. And, with outstretched hands and flying feet, she gave chase to the whirling blossoms. Round and round the old tree, into the hedge and up the sandy path, she raced, her long sleeves spreading like tiny sails, her cheeks flushed to the same crimson as her flowery playmates. A sudden stillness in the air ended the romp. Yuki Chan returned to her playground beneath the tree, and, taking her captured petals from the folds of her kimono, began to count her trophies. "Ichi ni san, ichi ni san," she rhythmically droned, three being the magical number that would bring good luck if the petals were properly arranged and the number repeated often enough but the monotony of repetition brought rest and soon yuki chan forgetting to count made a bed of the fallen petals and turned her face toward the little straw-roofed house from which noises of busy preparation came it was a birthday not yuki chan's for that came with the snow time this was the third day of the third month, which, in the long ago, was set apart as the big birthday of all little girls born in the lovely island, and was celebrated by the festival of dolls. Yuki-chan lay with her slim body stretched in the warmth of the sun. In every graceful line was the imprint of high reading her white face so unusual with her race was stamped with the romance and tragedy of centuries while her eyes limpid and luminous looked out at the world with eager questioning interest through the wide-open shoji of the house she caught glimpses of her father and mother hurrying and holding consultations she marked frequent visits to the old warehouse that held the household treasures and the bringing out of bundles wrapped in yellow cloth the air brought her whiffs of cooking food and the flour and fishmen deposited a fair part of their stock on the porch but yuki chan was banished from these joys of preparation because of naughtiness and as she lay in the warm sunshine, she thought of her recent wickedness. She smiled as she remembered how she had hid her father's pipe that he might work the faster, and broken the straps of her mother's wooden shoes so that she could not go outdoors. She laughed softly when she thought of the stray cat which she had brought into the house, and coaxed to drink milk, while she, with skilful fingers and a pair of scissors, transformed her smooth fur into a wonderful landscape garden. Short work had made Kitty's head slick and shiny like a lake, with a stray bristle or two which stood for trees. In the middle of her back, stood Fuji, the great mountain, with numberless little fujis to keep company. Many winding paths ran down Kitty's legs to queer, shapeless shrines, and it was only when Yuki-chan had insisted on making a curious old pine tree with twisted limbs of Kitty's short and stubby tail, that trouble ensued, and she had been requested by her mother to take her honorable little body to the garden. Yuki-chan remembered her mother's beautiful smile of love as she gently chided her and recalled the note of trouble in the kind voice. Was the mother sorry because she had stuck out a very pink tongue at a cross-eyed old image that sat on the floor on the very spot that she wanted to step upon? Or was it, and Yuki-chan grew grave, that the last-go ring had been spent for the new dress she was to wear that day? All her short life, Yuki-chan had lived in a house of love, but no veil of affection, no sacrifice could shield her from the knowledge of poverty. She had never seen her mother wear but one festival dress, yet her own little kimono was ever bright and dainty, and even the new brocade of the doll's dresses stood alone with a weave of gold and tinsel a solemn thought like a pebble dropped into water caused circle after circle to trouble her childish mind she did not quite understand but she knew there was something she must learn she had been naughty and weighed her mother's spirits she had caused a grave look in her father's kind eyes and had sent the household pets scattering with her mischief now she must be good very good else the fox spirit would come upon her and she would go through life an unhappy soul she would give more obedience to the honourable mother whose every word had been a caress it was as if for the first time the great book of life opened before her, and, though unconscious of its meaning, the first word she saw spelled duty. The noises from the house grew fainter. The child, with blinking eyes, lay gazing straight above her. Overhead, The branches overflowed into a canopy of crimson, which shut out the great real world and opened into a fairy world, wherein only the untried feet of youth may tread and the fragile flowers of child dreams bloom. The gates thereto are slight but strong, and only knowledge erects an impassable barrier. The wind sang its lullaby through the blossoms of the tree, and sleep would soon have overtaken Yuki-chan, had not a peculiar sound aroused her and caused her eyes to fly wide open, once before she had heard it, and it had meant death to the big robin who lived in the branches above The cry came from the mother bird this time and brought Yuki-chan to her feet. Through the shower of blossoms, brought down by the mad fluttering of wings, she saw a tiny, half-feathered thing struggling in the sharp claws of her lately acquired pet. With certainty of success, the cat let its victim weakly flutter an inch or two away, Then, reaching out, a cruel paw drew it back. Twice repeated, the green eyes narrowed to slits, and Yuki-chan, horrified, saw big red drops slowly dripping from either side of the whiskered mouth. Terror held her for a moment as she heard the crunching of small bones. Then, white passion enveloped her as she stole noiselessly from behind and closed her two small hands around the furry throat. Bakka! she cried from between her clenched teeth. Bakka! to eat the baby birds. This day will I ask Oni to make you into a stone which every foot will kick "'and hurt, and you can neither move nor cry. "'You cruel, cruel beast!' "'In vain the cat struggled. "'Yuki-chan held it firmly at arm's length "'while she decided what was to be its fate. "'Looking sternly at the offender, "'her lips rounded into a long-drawn, "'So... The light of anticipated revenge danced in her eyes. At last she knew what to do. Oh, most honorable but very ugly cat! She would throw her into the ditch, where great, crawling frogs with popping eyes would stick out long tongues, where flying things would sting, and creeping things would bite where the great tide would come later and take her out to the big big ocean where there was neither milk to drink nor birds to eat At the thought of her furry playmate floating alone and hungry in the vast place which, to Yuki-chan, had neither beginning nor end, something of pity touched her heart and she slightly loosened her grasp. The cat gained a good breath and used it. In the fight for freedom a sharp claw was drawn down the child's arm, leaving a line of red in its course. Compassion took flight, and Yuki-chan, clutching anew, went swiftly down the path that led to the street with a watchful eye on the lodge of the keeper of the gate. The keeper was very old and very cross and lately had acquired a curious idea that little girls must ask his honourable permission to go in and out the gate. One day he actually threatened punishment, and Yuki-chan, in her scorn, invited him to cut off his head with a sword that he might save his face. Now the way was clear. She turned her head and bumped her small body against the weight of the heavy gates until they swung slightly apart and permitted her to slip through. So intent was her purpose to reach the ditch across the street that she did not see an approaching gin rickshaw. and before she knew it she had been tumbled over and sent rolling to the side of the road. Still clutching the kitten, she sat up and rubbed the dust from her eyes. Standing over her was the Jinriksha man, and beside him was his passenger, a young American boy whose light hair and blue eyes held her spellbound. He was brushing the dust from her kimono, and his foreign tongue made strange sounds. "'Say, kid,' the boy was saying as he transferred the dust from his hands to his handkerchief, "'glad you're not hurt or got any bones cracked. "'Where's your mama or your papa or your nurse to give you a spanking and keep you off the street?' As he talked... Yuki-chan grew fascinated, watching his mouth and forgot for a moment her direful intention. The cat, again taking advantage of her relaxed hold, began to tuck for freedom and a lively struggle ensued. The boy, looking on, began to laugh, a laugh that began in his eyes ran over his face and down into his throat whence it came again in a shout of boyish merriment. Yuki-chan, looking from him to the smiling Jinriksha man, grew crimson with anger. With a swift movement, she ran toward the ditch. Divining her purpose by the look in her eyes, Dick Merritt went gallantly to the rescue of the kitten. He was tall for his sixteen years, and his long strides more than matched the pattering steps of the slip of a girl who raced before him. No, you don't, kitty, he cried. Your manicured cat is not going into the ditch if we have to scrap for it. Marriage? Caught Yuki chan in one arm and again and again loosened her fingers from the struggling kitten. Yeah, yeah, the child screamed, but Merritt, as determined as she, held her firmly and ended by lightly slapping first one little hand and then the other. The child thus coming into contact for the first time with physical force, relaxed her grasp and gazed in amazement at the boy's determined face. I guess your ear means no, little lady. And I say ear too, said Merrit, taking the cat into his arms and smoothing its uneven back. You are not going to put it into the ditch why don't you give it to me i am getting up a collection of cats and things at the school and i'd like to take this queer specimen along ask her if i can have it the gin man who stood a smiling spectator saw dick Merritt's hand move toward his pocket and was instantly alert and eager to settle the matter him be bad girl, he said. Him make dead for catty. You give me ten sen, I take girl homely. You have much of catty. But Dick declined all interference, and putting the cat inside his coat, he stooped down and took one of Yuki-chan's unresisting hands. Her sleeve fell back, and he saw the long red scratch. Hello? The cat had an inning too, didn't she? I'd like to chuck her for hurting you, but I can't let you give her a bath in that dirty hole. Never mind, I'll take her home, and some day I'll bring you something. I bet you don't understand a word I'm saying, but I'll be hanged if I know how to make you. Feeling rather helpless, Dick talked on, petting first Yuki-chan and then the cat. The child stood speechless and looked deep into his eyes, not having entirely recovered from the shock of the first blow she had ever received. "'You'll be good, won't you?' he went on coaxingly. "'Not drown any more cats and things?' Yuki-chan with the intuition that only a child can have, suddenly bridged the gulf of strange language and understood. With a quick movement of a nestling bird, she bent forward and laid her cheek against the boy's shoulder. It was not only complete surrender, but allegiance to the conqueror. Dick rose, red and confused. Then he climbed into the Jinriksha, trying to ignore the smiles of the man. Yuki-chan, with her hands joined just below her sash, bent her body like a half-shut jackknife. Arigato, arigato, she said politely as she bowed again and again. Him say thank you, interpreted the Jinriksha man. Goodbye, called Dick. Don't forget. Be good. Yuki-chan watched the back of the Jinriksha and the swinging brown legs of the Jinriksha man that showed beneath. She had forgotten the cat, but she still remembered the kind look in the blue eyes of the boy. Yuki, Yuki, came the voice of the mother in her native tongue. Come, the feast is prepared, and the sandals are worn from my feet running to seek you. Hurry, before the red beans grow cold. The child sent a long-drawn, Hi, in answer to her mother. Then to herself, she said over and over, Be good, be good. She had heard the words a few times before, but they were associated with her visit to the mission school, and a certain oblong box, out of which came sticks of red and white with a very sweet taste. Now, as she said them, a new meaning seemed to play about them. She slipped through the gate and walked with unhurried feet toward the small house, so gay in its festal plumage. As she passed the old plum tree, she looked up and saw the mother bird cuddling her babies beneath her breast. Some tender thought lighted the child's face into a strange beauty, as a stray sunbeam finds a hidden flower and glorifies it. Turning her face upward to the nest, she patted her own cheek and said, Be good, Yuki, be good. End of chapter one